All right, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna camp out in Psalm 46 today. Healthy churches face your fears. We're doing a series through the Psalms and how the Psalms give us answers to some of our fears. So Psalm 46 verse 1 says this, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in what? In trouble. And we're all familiar with trouble. We didn't remember we had a test tomorrow morning. Uh, We have an early morning appointment, so we left early and the car doesn't start. Or we need full-time hours and we just got cut back from 30 hours to 25 hours a week. We're all familiar with trouble. Everybody in the room understands trouble, right? Turn to the person to your left and say, I understand trouble. Turn to the person to your right and say, I understand trouble. Turn to these people and say, you are trouble. You are trouble. See, we all get trouble, right? We get trouble. Look at verse 2. Verse 2 says this, Therefore, we will not fear. Really? Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. God is our refuge and strength, and there's trouble, but we're we're not going to be afraid. There's a lot to be afraid about today. There's a lot to be fearful of. How does Flight 370 just suddenly vanish, allegedly into the Indian Ocean, and 239 people have not been found. How does that happen? How does a South Korean ferry boat in calm waters capsize, and 225 people lose their life, many of them school teachers and high school students, on a field trip? How does a mudslide shear off half of a mountain and 41 people are dead? How do 300 girls get kidnapped and we still have not got them released? How do these miners in Turkey, well over 235, 240 miners lost their lives? We saw the pictures of the tornadoes in Oklahoma and Arkansas. One tornado was a mile wide, and the devastation to some of those Arkansas uh, communities was just devastating. We're not going to be afraid. We're not going to fear. Now, I don't think I need to spend a lot of time talking about um, anxiety that you have or that we're anxious. I, I think we get that. I, I could spend all day talking about how we're an anxious culture, we're anxious people. Uh, I, I, think, I think you understand that. I could talk all day about how we've tried to find some inappropriate ways to, to deal with anxiety and, 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 and we're, we're anxious and, and, and we're not sure what to do as our anxiety continues to escalate and escalate. I could talk about the health causes of, of anxiety. I could talk about how you don't sleep because of anxiety. I could talk about how you're in a state of paralysis. You've got decisions to make, but you can't even make some good decisions because you're so anxious. We could talk about how we turn to somebody or we turn to something because of anxiety. We can turn to pills, legal pills, illegal pills. We can turn to pot. We can turn to alcohol. We can get hooked on happy hour. We can talk about that all day long. We can jump from relationship to relationship to relationship. To re- we, 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 I think we get that. I think we understand that. But what do we do? I don't think I need to spend 20 minutes laying the foundation that we're an anxious people, anxious culture, anxious. there's anxiety in your heart. I think we get that. So what I like to do is divide this message into two parts. 
And then I'll have a little intermission in between. You can go get donuts if you need to. No, I'm just kidding about that. But I got the first part is about six causes of anxiety. And I want, it, I want us to surface six major causes, components of anxiety. And then I want us to talk about what, what do we do then and how, how do we wrap this up? So the first one, and by the way, if you don't know the Bible very well, you're going to learn three Bible stories today, three Old Testament great Bible stories. And so this is your day, because when you're reading your stories to your kids or your grandkids, you go, ah, I remember that story. The preacher just talked about that just a couple of weeks ago. The first story about anxiety are about two brothers. In fact, they were jostling in the womb, the Bible teaches us. Jacob and Esau, and what happens is Jacob does two big, big no-nos. Number one, he steals his brother's birthright. He takes advantage of his brother. His brother's starving to death, comes in. Jacob's a mama's boy, and he didn't go out and hunt or work or do anything. He just stayed in the tent in the cool of the day, and he's fixing some stew. And so, you know, he's got stew, and the brother says, I'm hungry. And so he, he says, before I give you the stew, sell me your birthright. Now, that may not sound like a big deal to us, the birthright, But the birthright was the double inheritance. The birthright was you got to be the man. If you had the birthright, you got to call the shots. And so over a bowl of stew, Esau gave up his birthright. Then the second thing that Jacob did was he stole his brother's blessing with his mother. Terrible story. And these are our great people we look to in the Bible. All right, here's the first story, Genesis 27. Genesis 27, here's the dad. Isaac finished blessing him, and Jacob had scarcely left his father's presence. This is when mom and Jacob deceived dad and brother. His brother Esau came in from hunting. He too prepared some tasty food and brought it to his father. And then he said to him, my father, please sit up and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. His father Isaac asked him, who are you? Well, I'm your son. Yeah, I'm your firstborn. I'm, I'm Esau. Isaac trembled violently and said, well, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I I ate it just before you came, and I blessed him, and indeed, he will be blessed. When Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me, me too, my father. He said, your brother came deceitfully, and he took your blessing. Esau said, isn't he rightly named Jacob? This is the second time he's taken advantage of me. He took my birthright. And now he's taken my blessing. And then he's asked, haven't you reserved any blessings for me? Now look at chapter 32, verse 6 and 7. Over 20, 25 years have now gone by. Esau is still mad. Esau is still out to get his brother. Jacob left, went to a foreign land. Now, now uh, Jacob's coming back. And here's the story. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, we went to your brother Esau, and now he is coming to meet you with 400 men. Well over 20 years have gone by, and Esau is still ticked. You took my blessing. You took my birthright. I'm going to slay you, all your family, all your members, all your cattle, all your sheep. It's not going to go well for you. So this is kind of what happened. In great fear and distress, That's the key words there, in great fear and distress. Now, there's two major causes of anxiety with this first story. Here's the first one. The first one, if you're a note taker, it's in your bulletin. The first one is broken relationships. Causes great anxiety. 
This escalates. This does not dissipate. This escalates. Broken relationships cause anxiety. It may be your fault. It may be his fault. It may be her fault. It may be their fault. Doesn't matter whose fault it is. Anxiety occurs. Second of all, with this same story, is a guilty conscience. Jacob knew he was wrong. Jacob cheated his brother. Jacob, for well over 25 years, never made it right. And when you and I have broken relationships, and when you and I have a guilty conscience because of things that we have done, we got to own up to it. We did it. Then there's incredible anxiety. Now, the second story I want to tell you is out of 1 Samuel. And the second story about anxiety takes place with a guy who's got two wives. Now, why would a guy have two wives? And if I don't know, one's hard enough. But why, why would a guy have two wives? So he's got two wives, and, and she would say the same about me. What woman would want two husbands, right? So anyway, this guy's got two wives, and one wife, she is a baby machine, She is fertile, myrtle. She is popping out kids left and right. The other woman cannot have children. The other woman's womb is closed. And the woman who's got all these sons and daughters, she's always needling her. Look at me. I'm the favorite one. I gave him sons. I gave him daughters. Oh, my goodness. A recipe for disaster. So if you don't think the Bible is exciting, go back and read the book of 1 Samuel this week with your 15 minutes with God. 1 Samuel chapter 1, here's the story. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and to sacrifice the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkaniah, here's the guy, here's the man, he's got two wives, to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife, Paniah. This is the wife that has all, look at this, to all her sons and daughters. So Paniah has lots of children, and Paniah is the one who's making fun of Hannah. Here's the rest of the story. But to Hannah, Elkanah gave a double portion because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. Not happy home, right? Thanksgiving kitchen was not well received. Here's two more causes of anxiety, number three and number four. Here we go. Anxiety is caused by unfulfilled desires. I don't blame this woman. I don't blame Hannah. She wanted a child. She was longing for a child. And what causes anxiety in your life and in my life is when the things that we really want, they go unfilled. For, for whatever reason, they're, they're not abnormal things. They're not things that we shouldn't want. But, but whatever it is, when, when we don't get what we think we should have or we don't get what we think we, we want, we, it increases our anxiety. And number four. Number four would be this, harassment of a rival. Now, maybe you haven't really thought about this, but I bet every one of us in this room could come up with several people who have harassed us. Whether it's middle school whether it's the playground, whether it's a parent, uh, an aunt or an uncle, uh, in the work environment, a supervisor, a coworker, I bet every one of us in this room, if we thought about it, could spend some time and come up with five or six people who have harassed us throughout the course of our life. Probably, it's probably not in the front of your mind because you probably want to suppress this. But we've all got this, and it increases uh, our anxiety. Well, the next story is a story out of the book of Esther. 
And again, this week, you're 15 minutes with God. Go back and read the story of Esther. It's a great story. But Esther, the queen, uh, her people, the Jewish people, were going to be massacred. They were, there was a royal decree, and they were going to be destroyed. And so Esther then gets her cousin Mordecai involved, and Mordecai is going to help and get involved. And, and Esther calls a fast. And she calls a three-day fast. And she says, for three days, we won't eat, we won't drink, we're going to fast and ask the Lord to deliver us. It was a great story. Go back and read it, and God delivered them. But here's two more causes of anxiety. Number five is fear of, of death. A lot of people fear death. And that's, that's a cause of anxiety. And number six is the fear of the unknown. Because Esther and Mordecai were not sure how this was all going to play out, how this was going to pan out. So here, here are the six. Here they are, all six of these. You and I have anxiety, six major causes of anxiety, from broken relationships. So what do we do? We have anxiety from a guilty conscience. So what do we do? We have, a, we have anxiety from unfulfilled dreams or the harassment of a, of a rival. Fear of death, fear of the unknown. All of those are fears of anxiety that you and I wrestle with. The question is, how do we, how do we deal with them? What, 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 what do we do? And I think most of us in the room realize that if we drink too much, we're drinking too much because we're trying to kind of medicate ourselves because, because of some of this. I think most of us realize that I'm not a doctor, not a physician, but, but if you're doing too much of the antidepressant pills, you realize that's not a solution. That, that's, that's not getting to the, to the root. That's maybe trying to help some of the fruit, but that's, that's not getting to, to the cause of your life. If you keep jumping into relationship and relationship and relationship, I mean, you, you, you kind of figure this out about the fourth time, haven't you? About the fourth or fifth time, you, you kind of work through this, and you begin to realize, I'm trying to look at him or to, or to a her to solve this hole that's within my heart. I, I, I keep getting these degrees I keep trying to, I got more money than I know what to do with, but, and I'm not really using it for kingdom purpose. I'm just hoarding it because I want to feel more secure. Eventually, you kind of figure out that you're not getting anywhere with your anxiety. So what do we do? What do we do with the anxiety that we feel and that's real? It is real. It's absolutely real in our, in our lives. Well, here's the intermission part before we make a hard right turn in this message. Let's look at a couple of these little... Here's Henry Ward Beecher. Every tomorrow has two handles. We can take hold of it with the handle of anxiety or the handle of faith. That's kind of cool. Do you like that? This is the intermission. I hope you like that. Okay. Number two, George Mueller. This guy was a cool dude. This guy had incredible faith. George Mueller... Um, great ministry, had a lot of orphanages. And George Mueller had such incredible faith that his orphanage was out of food, they were out of money, and he just kept praying and praying and praying. And all of a sudden, you know, an ice cream truck and a milk truck would break down right in front of his orphanage. And the, 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 the driver would come into the orphanage and say, I, I got all this milk and all this ice cream. Do you guys want it? Yeah. 
yeah, we're, we, need, we need food. This is what he said. The beginning of anxiety is the end of faith. And the beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. That's a good, that's a good response, isn't it? Then one of the greatest preachers of all time is the next slide, Charles uh, Spurgeon. And Charles Spurgeon said, anxiety does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow, but only empties today of its strength. So let's go back to Psalm 46 for just a minute. I want to show a couple different verses and ask you a question about anxiety. Psalm 46 verse 1 says, God is our strength and refuge, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore we won't fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. That's cool, isn't it? Now, here's the question, okay? We're making a hard right. Get in the bus with me. We're making a turn off of highway this to another highway. If God is in control, what is he in control of? When we say that God is in control, what, what, what do we mean by that? Now, God is in control. There's no question God's in control. But when we say God is in control, what do we mean that God is controlling? Do airplanes fall out of the sky, allegedly, in the Indian Ocean? Are there mudslides? Are there tornadoes? Are, are there miscarriages? Is there cancer? When we say God is in control, what do we mean by he's in control? If he's in control, what is he in control of? And I think that's something that we all kind of have to wrap our minds around because absolutely God is number one. He is in control. God never, never causes diseases, but he allows them. God never causes accidents, but he does allow them. In fact, God told Adam and Eve, you got all these trees to eat from. There's just one you can't eat from. And by the way, the day you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you're going to die. The aging process is going to begin. You can eat from any tree that you want to, but you can't eat from this tree. And if you do, things are going to be turned upside down. And things have never been the same. And Romans even talks about how creation groans for the day when there will be re reconciliation. So the world has been, so God is in control, but what is he in control of? I think that's, that's a tough question for us to ask. So I, I want to encourage us to get our minds around two different truths. And, and this is how for 30 years now in the ministry, observations, and you don't have to agree with me, but I believe God is absolutely in control. But what is he in control of? And before I can really answer that question, I have to get my mind around two truths. Here's the first one. Truth number one, this life is only an introduction to another life. This isn't home. This isn't it. And for those of us that are believers, it's a better one. There's a better one coming. And so I have to get my mind around the fact that this is temporary. This is short, 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 short term. Okay? And then this second truth, and I, I, these words are carefully chosen, and I don't even like this second sentence, but it's absolutely true. You see, I have to get my mind around the fact that God is devoting his power to an agenda that, that I don't properly value. Now, what do I mean by that? God's up to something. He's absolutely in control. But I'm not sure as an American Christian that I value God's agenda. 
You, you see, my agenda is to get God in on my agenda. My, my agenda is to get God in on, on my deal. And though we don't really say this out loud, we kind of imply this, that if we do all the right things, then God's kind of entitled to come alongside of us and to do what we have asked him to do. So as, as American Christians, we kind of, you know, if we tithe, then God, we kind of expect. And if we serve, then God, you're kind of you're obligated. And if we do all these things, I mean, God, we're kind of, I know we're kind of manipulating you a little bit to get you in on, on, on our deal. And at the end of the day, nobody wants a God that small. Nobody really wants a God who's so small that we can almost persuade and manipulate. Now, let me, let me do a little caveat right here. Time out before I risk being totally misunderstood. If you were to ask me, do, do I believe that if you follow the scriptures, you will earn more money? I do. If you were to ask me, if you follow the scriptures, will you be a better saver of money? I do. And if you follow the scriptures, will you be a better investor of money? I absolutely do. If you follow the scriptures, will you know how and who to give money to in a better way? Absolutely. If you were to ask me about health, if, if you follow the scriptures, do I believe that you'll be healthier? I absolutely do. Do I believe if you follow the scriptures that you will live a longer life? I absolutely do. If you follow the scriptures, will you live a better life? You bet I do. I just don't believe that's God's primary agenda. God's up to something different than making your life and my life just sweet and kind and help me, bless me, give me, and serve me. God's not trying to get me to want him to come to my side. He's trying to get me to want to come to his side. You see the difference? So I, I believe God's blessing you. I believe God's helping you. I believe following the scriptures will flat make your life better and you will be much better off. But after 30-some years of making observations, I just don't think that's his primary agenda. His primary agenda. Is God in control? You bet he is. Are we safe with our Heavenly Father? You bet we are. Is God squarely on his throne? You're darn right he is. It's just a little different agenda than what most of us probably value. And we don't really want to say it out loud, but we've got to peel back the layers of the onion to see what is it that our Heavenly Father values more than anything, anything else. Well, let's look again at these words real quickly. Psalm 46, verse 1 again. He is our refuge, absolutely. He is our strength. He is our ever-present help in trouble. We are not going to fear, though the earth give way, the mountains fall, airplanes drop into the sea. Next verse. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. Wow. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still. Be still. Be still and know that I am God. 
And I will be exalted among the nations. Yes, I will be exalted among the earth. What's God's agenda? Number one, God's agenda is to reveal himself as the greatest treasure. As the greatest treasure the human heart could ever experience. You still got to go to school. You still got to go to work. You still got to pay your bills. You still got to pay taxes. You still got to just keep, but this is God's agenda. God's agenda is to reveal himself as better than anything you could ever dream or ever imagine. That's the Emmanuel agenda. He wants to reveal himself in your life, your heart, that you are like overwhelmed with gratitude. I can't believe God's this good. I can't believe God is this great. Number two, he's going to do this. Keep going. The second one, he's going to draw people into a relationship with him that delights their soul. It's not a I have to, it's a I get to. It's not a, I, I got to do all these religious things and keep all these laws and I, I got to cross T's and dot I's and holy goodness, I hope, I, you know, hope I've said the right prayers this morning. No, no, no. He, he wants to draw you into a relationship with him that just delights your very soul. He's absolutely in control. You're absolutely safe. God's agenda cannot be thwarted. The Emmanuel agenda is very different than what my agenda would be if I had a God at my disposal. And he's different than yours, too. And so what's he up to today? I'm going to give you three quick things for your bulletin. Number one, radical forgiveness. And you already know that. You already know that because you've experienced it. You can't believe that he has forgiven you. You've lied, you've stole, you've cheated, you've had an abortion, or you've paid for somebody to have an abortion, or you, and you just keep filling in the blood. You cannot believe that your heavenly Father radically has cleansed you of all your sins, past, present, and future. That's his agenda. Today, this just kind of blows me away because we see so little of what even God's doing except in our own spheres of influence. But today, in, in, in China, today in China, there's over 120 million Christians today. In China, 1,000 people a day are becoming believers. There are more Christians in China than there are members of the Communist Party. Now, that's a hallelujah, slap your mama, jump a pew, isn't it? That's exciting. That's exciting. You think about what God's doing. In Indonesia, predominantly highest concentration of Muslim population. In Indonesia, 30% of Indonesia now are Christians and are believers, and it's growing rapidly. We get in a boat and just kind of go over to Cuba, and we got to keep this down under the covers and low-key here. But there's popcorn churches popping up, house churches popping up like popcorn all over the place in Cuba. We're supporting that. We're supporting pastors' conferences in, in Cuba, in communist Cuba. And it's just growing. Christians are growing, growing, growing like crazy. By the year 2050 in Africa, just a little over a generation from now, there'll be more than one billion believers in the continent of Africa. One billion believers. There are more Christians today 
in this world than any other time in history. We are winning. Our God's agenda is safe, and it's radical forgiveness. But you already know that. You already know that. Because you've experienced it yourself. It's the too good to be true, but it's the too great to pass up. I can't believe he has forgiven me. Second part of God's agenda that can never be thwarted is supernatural love. He loves you. He likes you. He wants to do life with you. He understands your shortcomings. He understands your shortfalls. And yet he still can't wait to do life with you. God knows all about your issues. You can hide them from us and from each other. You can keep them in the closet. But God loves you anyway. God's crazy about you. God is passionately in love with you. That's an agenda that can never be thwarted. Supernatural love. And then the last one is spiritual strength. He transforms you. He comes into your life. But see, you already know this too. Because you're not the same woman now that you were five years ago. You're not the same man that you were five years ago. You already know this number three is true. Supernatural transformation has occurred in your life. You now think differently than you did five years ago. You now act differently than you did five years ago. You, you, you give differently, you pray differently, you read the scriptures differently, you wake up in the morning, you already know this is true. And so that's why as a church, we're trying to get you to surrender to Jesus Christ. Because when you surrender to Christ, you experience God, you experience community, and there's this amazing transformation that takes place in your life. And so he says, be still. Psalm 4610. Just, just, just be still. You can't connect all the dots. Your mind cannot comprehend and conceive or perceive my thoughts. I am Jehovah God. I created you. And it makes me think like when my kids were really small and I would, you know, spank them for running out in the street when I told them not to run in the street and I would spank them. They didn't understand that. But, but every parent in the room gets that, right? God's thoughts are so much higher than yours and so much greater than, than you'll ever be. And so what's the antidote to your anxiety? It's to be still. Just to be still. I'm scared to death of dying. Be still. I'm scared of the unknown. Be still. I got these broken relationships. What am I going to do? Just, just come into his presence. Go into his presence. Hang out with him. I got this guilty conscience. Oh my gosh, I still feel guilty. I know I confess my sins. I take communion every Sunday. You know, I pray like crazy, but I still feel so guilty. Be still. Just be still. I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I did that. Be be still. I'm overwhelmed with this rival. I I got somebody just kneeling me all the time at work, at school, the neighborhood, the family. Just be still. Just be still. And know, (laughs) I'm God. (laughs) I'm not your, your preacher, your elder, your small group leader. I'm God. So 
So if I were you, uh, I'd spend 15 minutes a day with God every day. And we're talking about that on a regular basis, and we're trying to just get you in his presence. And I just had a great story this past week where a guy told me he'd never done that in his life before. He said, I said, I can't believe it actually is working. I can't believe it's working. But the second thing I would do is if, if I was not a Christian in this room, I would give my life to Christ and experience that radical forgiveness. That, that's what I would do. I can't tell you what to do. But I can tell you what thousands of people that I know have done. And they're free. And they're free. And so today, if you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never surrendered, I want to encourage you to surrender. Come down front, talk to one of our prayer partners and say, today's my day. I'm not sure if I've ever done it properly or correctly, but today's my day. Maybe you need some prayer today for just to receive that love. I, I, I know the preacher says God loves me, but I don't feel it. I don't, I've done so many, but I don't know how to get there. Just, just let somebody pray for you. And then be transformed with the spiritual strength. Why don't you stand? Let's have our prayer partners come down front. Let's just be still for a second. Let's just be still. Just bow your head, close your eyes. Let's take a deep breath and let's be still. friends in this room have anxiety. I have anxiety. I get freaked out sometimes too. But we come into your presence and we feel your power and your peace. And we want to say today, we are your children and we surrender to you. Father, I I know your agenda is to offer forgiveness to those who've never received you. And I pray that today many will come to Christ and many will give their lives to you in a powerful way. Thank you for being God. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.